I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Rebecca Snow and Steve Gamester to talk about their new film, Cheating Hitler, Surviving the Holocaust. This is a film that is, it's kind of appropriate that it's going to be coming out uh, pretty much on Remembrance Day, and it is airing on Remembrance Day as well. Uh, it's a film about the Holocaust, but more importantly, it's a film about three uh, people uh, who were children at the time and who, who have uh, survived the Holocaust, who, who who cheated Hitler, Max, Helen, Rose. It's it's about these uh, children and, and about their stories. Uh, and as Rebecca would probably say and as Steve would affirm, children have really always been central to the story uh, of the Holocaust. I mean, as so many victims, so many people, so many lives touched in, in significant ways. And as Steve says in the interview and in the conversation that we have, uh, you know, Holocaust survivors are, are unique in a, in a very particular way in that they have had, uh, th- those who remain, this 75 years or thereabouts, approximately, uh, uh, amount of time to reflect back on, um, you know, what happened, how it happened, the, the, the nature of evil and the, the, the memories attached to it, PTSD, trauma, what goes alongside of it, how do you build relationships, how do you cope, how do you come out of something like that, how do you return uh, to to those places of trauma, of pain, of history? How do you how do you continue to tell that story? And some people want to continue to tell that story, and others don't. And so we get into all of that in this conversation. We 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 talk about relationships, and we, we talk about Maxwell Smart. And for those of you uh, of you old enough uh, to remember why I'm smiling as I talk about that, you'll you'll find out uh, why Max, uh, who's a part of this story, um, spent many many years not talking about this. We're, we talk uh, about uh, secrets and, and and about why history is important and, and about crime scenes and, and about uh, the part of uh, 
the Holocaust that that maybe you don't know about. There's there's so many stories that we haven't heard. Um, this is a film about d- discovery. This is a, really is about. Uh, healing and about relationships and the power of community and, and about pivotal moments in history and about storytelling and, and why, uh, certainly why I believe that, that healing is to be found, you know, in storytelling. We get into survivor's guilt and, and um, um, and you know, uh, really beautifully, we, we kind of, not only does Rebecca sort of wind up the film um, with this notion that just maybe the world, the whole world hasn't gone mad um, this is something that, that uh, um, well, many people would have had to have believed in uh, during that time, as in many other times throughout history. So, so listen in. Uh, don't touch that dial. Uh, coming, coming right up, Rebecca S- uh, Snow, Steve Gamester talking about their new film, Cheating Hitler and Surviving the Holocaust. And don't forget David Peck Live for more information about my, my writing and my speaking. You can purchase a copy of my book that I published a couple of years ago, Real Change is Incremental. You can get that there. And also um, face-to-facelive.ca for a whole host of other interviews coming up on 500 uh, um, conversations very soon, which is crazy. We've got some exciting things happening for 2020, maybe even going live on stage uh, sometime in the fall of 2020, so stay tuned for that. If you want to advertise with us, you can do that. You can do it online. You can do it in our newsletter. Uh, we, we will put banners up on our website. We'll do shout-outs on the actual podcast itself. You can also support the work we're doing. Uh, through Patreon uh, on a monthly basis, and if you can't do that, or you can't, uh, you're not interested in actually advertising, we'd really appreciate appreciate you um, reviewing us on iTunes uh, or or sharing uh, a podcast with your friends. Sign up for the newsletter. Share share this. Mediate face to face as much as you possibly can. We'd really appreciate that. And also, uh, don't forget Rabble.ca. News for the rest of us. Uh, hosted on that platform, a whole group of other uh, writers, journalists, uh, and podcasters, people there talking about news that matters and issues that matter, uh, rabble.ca. And uh, again, don't touch that dial because uh, we've got a conversation coming up with with Steve Gamester and Rebecca Snow uh, talking about their new film, Cheating Hitler, and on the History Channel. You can find it there if you're interested for sure. Uh, it's going to be airing uh, very soon, but but really uh, living uh, at history.ca, and I'm sure going to be getting wider distribution in, in the very near future. Cheating Hitler, Surviving the Holocaust, coming right up. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by uh, two uh, very special guests today here with us. We have online uh, at Face to Face, Steve Gamester and Rebecca Snow to talk about their new film, Cheating Hitler, Surviving the Holocaust. Uh, Steve, Rebecca, welcome to Face to Face. Thank you very much. Hello. Hey, it's, you know, and, and a few of my listeners are going to roll their eyes, but I just always marvel when technology works and we actually have three people uh, connected at different parts. Well, I guess it's just dif- different parts of one city, so it's not that impressive, <laughs> but but still, it's pretty darn impressive if you ask me. Excellent. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll, that's right. We'll take it. So so let's talk about how the two of you first met. So we've got uh, director, producer, writer, filmmakers here in the digital room with us. Tell us, tell us, I mean, start talking about the film as well, if you want, but, uh, and really do want to get into that. And, and by the way, congratulations on the film. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, again, it's a fascinating story. And it seems to me it's, it's the, um, isn't it a part of history that we will continue to talk about probably f- in perpetuity? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't, isn't that a fair response? Yeah. 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 Um, in terms of, uh, 
how Rebecca and I first started working together and, and could tell you about this project, how it started too. I mean, I, Rebecca and I have worked together for about 10 years now, I guess. Hard mm -hmm. to believe. Um, I think the first thing we worked on was a series called Museum Secrets, which was a series for History Channel that traveled to great museums of the world. And uh, Rebecca did the first or second episode on the Vatican Museums. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of us actually got to stand alone in the Sistine Chapel uh, on separate trips. So that was that was a special one. So we've we've always worked on these history projects, um, sometimes together, sometimes separately. Um, and this project, Cheating Hitler, uh, Surviving the Holocaust, the genesis was about a year ago. Um, about a year ago, we got a call from History Channel, and they said that they wanted a big special for Remembrance Day 2019. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was time to do something um, significant about the Holocaust. They hadn't covered the subject directly in quite some time, and they'd just come through a bunch of specials related to big historical anniversaries. So, of course, uh, you know, 2018 was the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. 2017 marked the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, one of, you know, Canada's most significant military history moments. And 2019, 2020 were the big sort of end of the Second World War anniversaries. And in particular, it was sort of exactly around this time, 75 years ago, when the liberation of most of the death camps and concentration camps in the East um, really began. You know, the Red Army reached Auschwitz in January 1945. Um, a lot of the camps in sort of more Western Europe, um, the Allies didn't reach until sort of March or April, so a little bit later, but we're, we're on the cusp of all those anniversaries. So it felt like the right time to do this topic. And one of my first calls was to Rebecca Snow, because Rebecca is one of the best, most talented directors in the country and has a love and a deep understanding of historical subjects. So that's, that's how we began working on this together. Re Rebecca, does does Steve call you because you're a great filmmaker or because you're just really curious? <laughs> I think probably both things. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably and it's probably more than that too, right? I, th I mean, I I think the question I kind of want to ask you, and both of you, I think, is uh, you know, I've spent a little bit of time researching, and Steve, you and I have met before, and so on. Are you? Do you both have a love for? Hmm, I don't know, telling the truth or is it, is it, is it talking about the past or is it something about just this sense of where we've come from? There's the, these rich, this rich history that we have very complicated in this case, very horrific in, 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 in these three stories and how they tease out, but there's something about history that's just so deeply uh, connected to who we are today. Right. So how, how does, yeah. Where, where do you, where do you find yourself situated in that Rebecca? Yeah, I, I definitely have a deep love for history. It's sort of my my background. I mean, I, I studied sort of ancient history at university and archaeology. And then I entered television working as a researcher on, on history programming at the BBC back in back in England. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. History is fundamentally a part of everything I do and have always loved doing. So I think that's, yes, yeah, Steve and I share, share a joint interest in that. I mean, Steve, you've got a background in 
particularly in 20th century history. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we both come from that background. And, you know, it's when you, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting. I have a good friend who teaches um, as a professor at, of history at universities. And, you know, it, there was a time when history departments at colleges and universities around the world were much more prominent. You know, um, they had... Um, sort of, you know, a lot more attention. Uh, history degree was sort of considered one of the paths to um, to lots of different careers. And, right. you know, I, I think overall, I hate to make broad generalizing statements, but I'll do it anyways. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it seems like that's changed. You know, you, you hear about history departments at, at schools that used to have sort of, you know, five or six faculty members, you know, being diminished to sort of three or four. I, I, I do think that there, there are fewer people who, 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 who have that background these days who, who, who study this stuff. Um, I may be wrong, but that's, that's just sort of the sense I get. So it's, it's, it, when you want to take on a subject of, um, this kind of depth and where you have to get the history right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it can sometimes be hard to find the people with the background experience to be able to do that. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost too like you're, I mean, you're commenting on sort of the liberal arts in a, in a sense, aren't you? And, 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 and to where we're, where we're sort of heading with education. I have a 12 and a 14 year old and they're, they're already starting to talk about what's next and where do we go and where do we head? And there, that you see this utilitarian kind of mindset, you know, already developing. Mm -hmm. And I, I get it. It makes sense. I mean, uh, but, but I, I, I ended up studying philosophy and, and uh, you know, that, that, that as a, you know, this is going to date me, but I remember a doctor of mine saying to me, Oh, David, that in a quarter is going to get you a phone call, you know, yeah. and, and that, right. Yeah. And there's that same kind of sense. Do you guys feel, Rebecca, do you feel the same way about documentary film? Do you, do you think, do you think that people uh, sort of look at docs that way? Or do you, do you feel, I mean, you hear about this resurgence in docs that there's a new level of interest that people are stepping in in a way and more money's being made and so on. And that seems to be true, but mm -hmm. docs are still sort of seen as, oh yeah, those are, they're, they're kind of educational, right? I mean, that's why you watch a doc, right? I, I don't know. It's interesting. I have a lot of friends that I talk to about, <clears throat> about my work and, and I just the other day I was at the hairdresser and my hairdresser was talking about how much she, how when she turns on Netflix, she only watches documentaries. So I don't know. Mm, it's cool. interesting. There does seem to be a resurgence, although I'm not sure that's reflected in how many docs are getting commissioned in the broadcast world, unfortunately. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Steve would speak more to that. But um, uh, no, I think, I mean, it's, it's, I absolutely love working in this field. It's, you know, I'm doing something that uh, is, I'm learning new things every day, every time I work on a project. Um, and it's incredibly rewarding. And I, I think bring, being able to bring certain stories to to a, a huge audience, which is the sort of ideal, and to give um, voice to some of these people that we're making films about is, is massively rewarding. Do you feel there's, there's parts of this film where I felt like, well, one, one portion in particular where uh, I can't remember what uh, killing site it was, but it was you were in the forest and I'm not sure which of the... Sober Boy, it, I think, probably. Yeah, Max, Helen, or Rose. I think it was Ma Rose. Maxwell Smart, by the way. Are oh. you sure you didn't write didn't you you didn't write his name i mean well, that, well there's just, a story I mean, to that yeah i mean right. come on that's just well, ridiculous yeah what's i mean his 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 birth name is oziak from 
Okay. Uh, and he gave himself that name, Maxwell Smart, when he came to Canada. Oh, that's fantastic. So what's extraordinary about that is that long before the TV show Get Smart made that name famous, Oziak Fromm decided that was a cool name. So oh, that's you know, amazing. I, I, I've never asked him if he's launched a copyright lawsuit. No kidding. <laughs> but but, but it, you know he he's the original. That's one of the things you know Rebecca talks about in every project. You learn something new. Yeah. Well, in this project, we learned who the original Maxwell Smart is. That is so funny. That's a, that that is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it just struck me that that. There, you know, the, the the fact that you guys were a part of, and I think one of the one of the people that you're with, one of the the investigators you're with, you know, that this was a crime, this was or this is a crime scene. You know, we're sort of standing on 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 kind of hallowed ground in a sense. You know, um, people died here, and and you it, it it you know there was this policing, criminal kind of investigative edge to it. I mean, is is that what you have to bring mm. uh, to the table as a documentarian? all the time? I mean, are you always, I mean, and I think that kind of connects back to my curious comment um, yeah. earlier, but, but, you know, and, and connected to how you you know, you, you approach things as a filmmaker. Yeah. I think you're talking about um, when we went to Buchach in what's now the Ukraine. Um, and we went to a sort of hill outside the town of Buchach and it's where the, um, a, a huge amount of the population of, of Buchech were actually killed, um, shot one by one and put into mass graves. Um, and yes, I mean, I think you, we always hope to sort of find something new or bring something new to the audience or discover something in the, in the documentaries that we set out to make, um, shed light on something, discover something new. Um, with this film in particular, you know, Steve and I have both said that the documentary gods were shining on us because they mm. really, we really, we really uncovered answers to many, many of the questions that the survivors had. You know, this is an investigative documentary. Um, and so it's not just um, survivors telling us their stories. It's actually them going on journeys and, and trying to uncover answers to some of the mysteries that have haunted them for their entire lives. And in the case of all of them, I, you know, I think we made some incredible um discoveries with the help of amazing researchers in Toronto, Poland and, and Israel um, and really sort of some breakthrough moments for some of these survivors mm. in terms of in terms of the their experiences. Yeah and you know um, sort of picking up on you know the you were talking about uh, seeing sort of unfamiliar places and making it investigative you know I think one of the other goals that we had was to try and show audiences places and narratives from this story, from the story of the Holocaust that maybe they hadn't seen. You know, I mean, when, when mm, you approach mm -hmm. a topic like the Holocaust, there have been, at last count, um, at the Library of Congress, apparently there have been 16,000 books written wow. on the topic of the Holocaust. And I don't know how many documentary films, but certainly a lot. So, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out how can we make a film for the general public? So some people will have a lot of knowledge about the Holocaust and some will barely have heard of it. So how do you right. reach all of those people with this important history, um, capture the enormity of the story in a general sense, but also capture stories that maybe people who do know a lot about the subject haven't seen before. So, you know, I wouldn't say we avoided um, places like Auschwitz or um, Dachau, because we didn't. But I think at the same time, we were attracted to stories 
that took us to places maybe people hadn't seen as much of. So in this film, we go to places like Buchach, a town in Ukraine that certainly I'd never heard of before mm -hmm. working on this film. We go to Lublin in Poland, a, a fair-sized city, but I don't think a place that a lot of um, popular Holocaust narratives go to. We went to um, Kaunas in Lithuania, um, and we went to one of the death camps um, called Sobibor. So, you know, people have heard, I think, of Treblinka. They've certainly heard of Auschwitz, but they may not have heard of Sobibor. So this film does, I think, um, introduce even knowledgeable viewers about the Holocaust to maybe some places and some narratives they haven't heard before. Was it the, um, was it Sobibor where we see that sort of mass grave, the memorial stone? That's, yeah. that's the place. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. I, I, I certainly hadn't seen that image before and it's, uh, that's gotta be breathtaking to, to be there, to be, to be in that moment, especially to be visiting it with, with the survivors as well. Gotta be pretty, pretty sobering. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was it was actually our last day of quite a long a long shoot in um, Israel, Lithuania, and Poland. And uh, yeah, Rose was there with three of her granddaughters. And Rose said to them, you know, at one point she turns to them and says, um, you know, I, I was I Hitler intended me to be here. I was meant to come mm. here. I should have died here. Along she should have died there along with her mother and her brothers. But um, because of her mother's bravery and hero heroism on the road the day before, she wasn't. Um, and there's, you know, they all have these very pivotal moments in their story. They, some of them have several moments where, where the moment that they sort of, their survival began. And for Rose, it was the moment her mother pushed her off the road, which meant she didn't actually go to Sobibor with the rest of her family. You know, it's really interesting, Rebecca. I'm glad you, you know, pivotal moments. There's a couple of places I want to go and so many questions. You know, I think Maxwell really puts puts language to it you know i think he talks about god and you know why did you create me to be a jew he talks about the misery of being alone and 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 the guilt that he feels about yannick and his his friend and and so on and kind of a and and how could you not ask these questions you know why me and 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 not you right mm -hmm. um and and how could that not affect the rest of your life in in some way shape or form and for me the in the film the the the, the sense of oh i don't know existential angst and guilt was was really palpable especially in max's uh, maxwell's story mm -hmm. but That's i would imagine i would imagine it would be there for almost everyone who survived on some level D did you guys when the camera wasn't on did did you guys ever talk about that uh not just amongst yourselves as cast and crew james you and you and rebecca but with with max helen and rose yeah we did we we definitely did i mean they, they all i mean i think all survivors have this what's called survivor guilt the the sheer fact that they survived um you know because of the odds just means that like pretty much everyone around them didn't um and you know maxwell in particular is living with not only the sort of the general survivor guilt that so many survivors have, but he has this very specific guilt um, that he expressed to me in, in our very first interview mm. where he was hiding in the woods with a little boy um, and together they saved a baby um, from, a, from a massacre. Um, and the little boy actually died as a result a few days later. And Maxwell's always held himself to blame for that. He thinks that he caused the death of his friend. And this is, you know, this is an 89 year old man telling me this mm. in interview. But really, when he's saying that to me, I'm seeing I'm seeing the 13 year old boy again, you know, in the woods who 
who still blames himself for the death of his friend. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's Maxwell's lived with that guilt for 80 years. And uh, something that something that we did in the film is, is we um, we actually took him on a journey to we, where we had researchers uncover um, trying to find that baby and, and they found her. And that alleviates Maxwell of a huge amount of guilt, um, which was an amazing thing to be able to do for him. And obviously an amazing thing to be able to show in the film, but really to do that for him was uh, something that we're never going to get over, never going to forget. The other thing I think, you know, David, one thing that I think you're touching on, which is something that I I found particularly interesting on this project, you know, um, I think in a way Holocaust survivors are quite unique in human history, Hmm. you know, in the sense that, um, you know, the survivors that we spoke to, who were all children during the Second World War. So, you know, they're all in their Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s. So it's been 75 years since the end of the Second World War and since the, you know, the Holocaust and the unbelievable trauma that they all experienced. And it's hard to think of other experiences in human history where the the survivors have had that long to reflect on something so traumatic. I mean, perhaps First World War veterans would be one of, you know, and I'm talking about a large shared experience. You know, I suppose there have always been people in history who have lived a very, very long time and have had that time to reflect upon a history and to try and make sense of it. But it seems to me that the Holocaust is a little bit different. It's It's been sort of held up as the example of the 20th century of the depths that humanity can fall to. And there's been an enormous amount of work done about it. You know, why did it happen? How did it happen? But these were the people who actually experienced it. They're the ones that have human emotions and can't always, you know, sort of separate these academic arguments in terms of, you know, what forces in history led to this happening. So to get to spend time with individuals who have carried that burden for so long was quite a unique experience. And I I truly think that it's hard to point to other examples in human history that have that kind of length of time of reflection on such a massive event in human history. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting point. I mean, you, you're right. First World War for sure. I mean, isn't it an, isn't it a question about I guess about trauma or or about PTSD or about or just about how we you know how we deal with our own past that that we take right and and how we reflect on it how we i guess how we heal and so on but i think to your point i think this was something that was um that these these people were thrown into in a i mean war you're thrown into war as well but genocide is 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 something you know as you say unique and there was no other real up until this point i suppose example in history quite quite like it we've had a few since but we don't have that amount of time, you know, between now and then to sort of, uh, you know, to, 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 to inform, I guess, maybe, maybe that's what you're talking about, Steve, and that, that to have those types of insights. And yeah. one of the, one yeah. of the thoughts I was having while you were chatting and, and, and in connection back to, to, to Rebecca's comment earlier, was there ever a sense that you were kind of going places and maybe geographically even, uh, and I and I think it sort of came up with Rose a little bit that you got a sense. Of, Listen, I don't. I just don't want to go here. I've already dealt with this. 
I put this behind me. Um, you know what I mean? Like kind of a not dealing with my past and, and I'm no, no judgment here. I'm just, I'm just asking, you know, there's that whole, you know, I don't want to revisit the trauma. What are you doing? Why would I want to do that? And yet it seemed to me that Helen Rose and Max all had a pretty measured and healthy sort of response, or at least how you present them in the film. That's for sure. Mm. I was actually amazed when we first started um, researching this documentary and, and, and trying to find the survivors, you know, who we were going to feature in the film. I, I, I was really struck by, you know, I would be sort of cold calling these people. We, we, were, we were given a lot of names by really wonderful organizations who are um, very active in, in preserving, you know, Holocaust testimony, like the March of the Living and the Nuremberger Foundation or the Nuremberger Center and the Israeli uh, foundation um, and and they and so they would give us you know phone numbers and, and names of these people and I would call these survivors and you know start a conversation with them saying do you mind talking to me and almost all of them almost you know to the to word for word would say I've I've promised myself that I will I will never say no to talk about this I will mm. always talk about it because that's the promise that I made in honor of you know all of my family who didn't survive and everyone who right. can't talk about it now so that was something that I never, never hugely came up against someone who didn't want to. We had um, one of our one of the survivors, Helen, um, in the sense of not wanting to go places. Like physically, she didn't want to go back to Lithuania. She said she could never bring herself to go to Lithuania um, because she 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 would have last been there in 1944 when she was put on deportation trains and taken to a camp in Poland. Um, so she says she never wanted to go back, um, partly because of the well, mainly because of the collaboration of a, of a lot of the of a lot of Ukrainians with the Nazis when they occupied in 1941 and onwards and so um but but in her place her grandson Andrew came with us um and he is uh he's an incredible presence in the film um sort of walking his grandmother's footsteps on her behalf and telling her story and and investigating her story and the story of her little brother who was taken away from her in the ghetto um it's a very moving part of the film and I think bringing it to that, the younger generations um, really sort of uh, sort of takes it to a new level in terms of, you know, the passing on of the history and, and the telling of the stories. I love, I love the idea of, of I'm, I'm never not going to talk about it. I think part of the reason I asked the question as I was listening to, to Steve talk about this unique position, this 75 year history of, of reflecting back and of maturing and the wisdom of hopefully growing old and, and, and experience, what did Oscar Wilde say with experience comes, uh, you know, experience is the name we give to our mistakes. Um, hmm. You know, I've been, I've been spent, as we talked about before we hit record, I've spent a lot of time in Cambodia, as my listeners know, and I've certainly met a lot of Cambodians who, who genuinely really don't want to talk about uh, 1975 to 1979 and the Khmer Rouge and that whole portion of history. And, and even with the trials that have been going on and uh, that have sort of come to an end now uh, uh, for at least the time being, um, we're really kind of conflicted about why the country, why the UN, why the West would impose this on us. We don't really want to go here. Why would you guys want to go here? This is what you call justice. This isn't what we call justice. Does, does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, I think that's a really important distinction that, you know, different societies and different cultures have different concepts of justice. And even, you know, as I'm talking about the uniqueness of the Holocaust, I think, you know, perhaps that is a Western biased perspective of my own. You know, I mean, what about survivors of the rape of Nanking or, mm, or survivors of, right. of other, you know, of, of, of the African slave trade or other genocides or, you know, the, the treatment of Africa? Aboriginal people in Canada. I mean, I, I, well, well, the Holocaust, I think, does stand out as a unique crime in human history. Um, there are other horrific crimes, of course, um, that you know have have different narratives and 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 require acknowledgement. So, so that needs to be said. But you know, I think one of the, a couple of things. One, you know, the survivors that chose to speak to us. Um, not all of them have talked their whole lives. I mean, I, mm. several of them talk about how, you know, they didn't tell their stories for, for decades, partially because they weren't ready to, and partially because I think, you know, the world wasn't ready to hear them. I mean, it's quite famous to talk about how in the immediate aftermath of the war, no one wanted to hear these stories. Um, you know, a lot of the survivors talk about that. Uh, that they didn't want to talk about them and people didn't want to hear them. There was more of an emphasis on trying to move on and rebuild lives. And it was only over time and reflection um, and, you know, big events like when Eichmann was put on trial in Jerusalem in the early 60s, that had a huge ripple effect in terms of interest in the Holocaust and, and a desire to tell these stories. So it is a process. And, you know, the Cambodian example is, I guess we're talking now 40 years ago. Um, so maybe we will see mm. um, as those survivors get older, more of a desire right. to, to tell those stories. I don't know. But but I think there is a there is a process. Um, justice is part of that process, but also healing and and and, and just it, the time. It's hard to predict when people are ready to talk about these things and when society is ready to listen. Well, it seems to me there's something about telling your story that's connected to healing, but that's pretty perspectival, I suppose, right? I mean, that's that's not necessarily going to be for everyone, but I certainly would argue uh, that most of the people I know, if if you can get a group of people to listen to your story, there's there's catharsis in that. There's isn't there pathos and empathy and and commiseration and all those things that we hope you know authenticity transparency. You know, I can't not talk about this. Right. And isn't that what documentary film is about, too? That's what I, I think. That's what I love about doc film. And I hope there's a resurgence in it. And I hope it continues to grow because I think it gets us talking about things like this and like these stories in, in, in kind of a new and, and a refreshing way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is a, you know, documentary film. Um, does offer a different way to explore these stories. Um, you know, it's you can't compare. You know, you can't do on film what you can do in a in a book or in a multi-volume sort of you know written study of something. You can get into the depth and the nuance and the meaning. But I think what documentary ca film can do when it comes to these stories is really you know um, provide obviously a chance to sort of go to places to see survivors going to places. Mm. That was certainly one of the priorities that we had in this film. You know, um, I think, you know, when it comes to history films, 
the most powerful way to communicate the history is first of all through people, for people who experience right. these events themselves. I think the second most powerful way is by going to the places, and the third most powerful way is by um, showing the artifacts or the things. You know, if you as you go further, further back in history, sometimes, you know, the the echoes are, are of that history become artifacts. You know, so in in this film, we we really tried to do all three. Um, we had these survivors, these living connections to the history. We took them to the places that had significance in their stories. And whenever possible, we tried to have them interact with documents or artifacts um, that connected them even further to that history. So, so, you know, film does have that unique quality where you can bring all those elements together. And I think it, 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 it creates more emotion, which... Mm you know, um, can be a good thing in getting people's attention. Um, and, and then if they want to learn more about these topics, well, there's certainly the case of the Holocaust, there's 16,000 books that you can, right. you can look up to, to start reading. Re Rebecca, how did you choose to, how did you choose the three and, 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 and maybe how many did you actually, you, you talked about the cold calling, um, you know, the hall of names, certainly. And again, the connection there, I want to also get you to talk about that a little bit. And as we s sadly come closer to the end of our, our time together today, fascinating piece of the film and, and, and something I, I certainly wasn't familiar with. You have a lot of, you had a lot of people you could have chosen from probably certainly that's what the hall of names tells me, but, um, how did you wind up with, with the three? Yeah, we did. We we did speak to many people, and we actually filmed interviews with with a number more than than we see in the film. Um, in the end, uh, it came down to. I mean, they all have. I mean, it goes, it goes without saying. Every single um, survivor has an incredible story, and I, I we wanted to we wanted to be able to you know give voice to all of them. But obviously, we can't in an eighty eight minute film. But um, the the uh, the the reason that we chose Helen Rose and Maxwell. Um, is because they really did have, we did, as Steve mentioned, we did want to take them back. We thought it was very important to be taking them either back to places or to places for the first time or, or to, to locations where they could investigate questions they had about their experiences. And these, these survivors all had questions. Um, you know, Helen, Helen wanted to know what happened to her, where her little brother might right. have been taken after he was seized from her in the ghetto. And she also um, wanted to know about the little brother of a friend of hers who, who died beside her in a concentration camp. Um, Maxwell wanted to know whether this baby survived. Is there any way he could find her again after not seeing her since 1943, um, saving her since 19, you know, in 1943? And, and Rose was, uh, wanted to know where her father was taken. And she always, she's always wanted to visit the place where her mother and little brother were, were gassed um, at Soberbor. So they all wanted, they were all, willing and open to to sort of going on this journey with us um and uh that was very important i think to make it um to sort of make it a different documentary a different way of exploring the holocaust stories i i love steve what you said about the be, be, one of the best ways to communicate history is through i think you said people and then places and and, and artifacts and mm -hmm. and i wanted to say that it, it just it it makes this, I mean, how can this story not be compelling, period? 
but when you bring a, a character <laughs> like Maxwell Smart into it and, and, and these families basically and these lives and these details, you know, the baby by the river and, and, and so on, uh, how, how can you not care? How can you not be drawn in? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think as human beings, especially through storytelling, we look for connections. And, you know, you can bring out those connections in different ways. Sometimes you're interested in the topic. Sometimes you have a direct um, relation to the topic. Uh, but, but not always. So, you know, in everything that, um, that we work on, I think, that Rebecca and I have worked on together, that's a history film, it, to a degree, it's, it's always people, places, and things. Mm. You know, it, it sounds like a simple formula. And it is in many ways, and I think that's why it works. Um, finding those people, places, and things, getting access to those right, things, and then right. and then turning into a coherent narrative—that's that's a little bit harder. But you know, it is a formula for telling history that I think works, um, and I hope we can keep looking at people places and things and all kinds of stories yeah it's cool i love i love yeah that's 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 got to be the title of somebody's uh, autobiography or biography people places and things maybe yours there you go, steve yeah there you, there go, you go there you go yeah <laughs> hey maybe we could you know sadly we could we uh, we have to wrap it up in a couple minutes but you know is it is it rose near the end that says something about uh, her mother said to her about not believing that the whole world had gone mad uh, and I, I love that note because in a way, I don't know how you could have believed anything else at that time, uh, if you were in the middle of that and yet there was hope, you know? And so somehow, because I, I mean, I consider you both historians of, of, of a very particular sort and filmmakers, obviously, but in storytellers for sure, um, you know, we've seen to have repeated history, right? Uh, we, we, we haven't really learned that well or 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 have we i mean i mean there's about 19 different questions embedded in that 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 last statement or two that i just made there and pick up wherever you want rebecca or steve but i'd love to hear a couple of your thoughts based on what you learned i mean walking the road with 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 rose i mean what are some of the things you're thinking about about this crazy thing called the human condition yeah, Rose's mother. <clears throat> Rose's mother saying, "I, you know, walking. She's walking with three thousand, three thousand Jews heading to a train station, and and a lot of them think they're being resettled, so they're carrying heavy bags, and and Rose's mother has the, you know, the foresight to realize that they're not going to be resettled. They're going to their death, and then she says to Rose, "I don't believe the whole world's gone mad. Someone out there's going to save you." Um, and that to me is, you know, even in as you say, in the depths of you know, the sort of unthinkable, um, the depths of that humanity can go to. And, and she can say something like that, that there is someone, there is hope in humanity. Mm. And I think that's something that Rose has clung on to. And she, she talks about that, that, you know, there's no, that that kept her going. And that still keeps her going, that she believes that, you know, it's not, there, there is hope. And there's, and she says that there's, there's sort of no room for hate. Um, I wish everyone thought like Rose. <laughs> right. They don't, obviously. Um, I've, I've, you know, working on this. I think, I think since we started working on this, the amount of news headlines that I've seen, um, specifically, you know, with uh, about anti-Semitism on the rise in, in many places, including, including of all places, Germany, um, 
is incredible. You know, it's really been particularly arresting since I've been working on this film. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know how survivors can, can mm. possibly feel about those kind of headlines and those kind of, uh, those bits of news coming out of, of Europe. And then of course, what's going on in the US, you know, the idea of just kind of intolerance for another um, is, is uh, awful. So I, I don't know, it's not very, I'm not, I'm not hugely hopeful, but I hope that, you know, I can be a bit like Rose's mother in the sense of just thinking right. that there is always, there are going to be people who <laughs> always in these, in these uh, sort of drastic moments. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think I shared Rebecca's um, hope about hope in the sense that, mm. you know, I think you, we, we expected the anger from the survivors Right. Um, more presence. But I think, you know, getting back to that 75 years of reflection. Yeah, that's good. And living, you know, some of them did have a period of hate. There was one survivor who we interviewed who had an amazing story. It isn't in the film, but had an amazing story. And he said, you know, after the war, my first thought was I was just going to try and kill Germans. Mm. And it was over time where he realized that that was toxicity that was going to destroy him and he needed to move past that. And, you know, I think overall it speaks to um, the value of wisdom, which I think if you, if, if you're lucky enough to live 90 years and you've lived a good life, um, you have some wisdom. And I think if you're younger than that, I think history, knowing your history is a way to, to gain wisdom at a, at a younger age um, but, you know, I, I think about something I, I remember my, my father told me while, you know, working on this film, I was talking to him about it. And he said, you know, I remember when the last American Civil War veteran died. Wow. And when, when he told me that, you know, I nearly fell out of my chair because, you know, it, it just seems like the American Civil War is so long ago. Right. And, you know, my father just turned 80. And I think the last American Civil War veteran died sometime in the 1950s. So, you know, when you realize that, it's not that long ago. My own father was alive at the mm, same time mm. when there were still American Civil War veterans alive. And as we, you know, sit up here in Canada and observe the Americans, it's hard not to think that the lessons of the division and the violence of the Second World War have now faded. And, and it seems to be such a divided society now where people perhaps don't fully understand the potential consequences of that division. So losing that living link mm. to the American Civil War has meant to an extent that American society has lost those lessons. And I do fear that as the final veterans of the Second World War and that generation of Holocaust survivors fades, I fear that we too could hmm. lose those lessons. And it's one of the major motivations for making this film. And I think a major motivation for every generation to continue to tell this history because um, it's lessons could keep us from falling into that darkness again. Yeah. It's a, it's a somber way to sort of end, but I think it's also really hopeful. And I love what you said and about what you both have said about hoping towards hope and hoping for hope. And, and we really do have to kind of, I, I mean, I think we have to get out of bed in the morning, believing the whole world hasn't gone mad. And, and, and I think history teaches us that to some degree it teaches us a lot of other things too but but let's trust and or at least i i've got to trust that that 
stories like this, uh, that Helen Rose and Max's story will, uh, will, will resonate and, and, and will, will grow in, in others as they, yeah, as they reflect back on it, you know, what, what's, what, let's, uh, where are we going to be in 75 years, Steve? Um, hopefully people are going to be reading your, your and my autobiography. Uh, Rebecca, I'm not sure how old you are, so I'm not going to comment there. Way too young. <laughs> there Way you too go. Young. There you go. There you go. Listen, thanks so much for your time today. I've been talking with Steve uh, Gamester and uh, Rebecca Snow about their new film, uh, uh, Cheating Hitler, Surviving the Holocaust. It's going to be on the History Channel uh, November 11th, coming up on Global uh, TV November 16th. And then uh, going to be existing on the History Channel website, uh, Steve? Uh, yeah, 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 you'll be able to get it through, through the historychannel.ca. And it will have, you know, viewing. I'm sure they'll repeat it sure. um, many, many times. But, yeah. but the, the broadcast premiere is, is November 11th at 9 p.m. on History Channel. Well, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And again, congratulations on the film. Thank you Thank so much. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.